everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Alison Grunendijk. If you would stand with me, we will just start by reading scripture. Uh, This morning you can turn in your Bibles. I believe the page is up on the screen. 1113, this is John 5, 19 to 20. We're going to camp out in the book of John all morning. I'll be kind of all over the place uh, with that, but want to root ourselves in this word today. So this is Jesus speaking, John chapter 5, starting in verse 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. And that's the context that a healing has just occurred. And then you will be truly astonished. You can have a seat. So we are in a series called uh, The Contemplative Charismatic. And if you didn't catch Amos's intro message on this last week, uh, I would super encourage you to go back and, and catch that message just to get yourself kind of anchored in these two ideas of being both a contemplative person and a charismatic person. Uh, I thought he did a fantastic job of showing us how the life of Jesus models both of those. And he was drawing on the article by Henry Nouwen that says that Jesus's life and therefore our life should flow in the rhythm of solitude with God in a more contemplative space and then out of that into community where we share the life of God together and we co-discern and then from there goes out into ministry where we are bringing what we've been given out to the world. Um, and I, one of the things that he said that I just so loved was um, you know, we pray for the big miracles, but we care for the person. And I said, I said, Amos, did you come up with that? I think that might be an Amos original, but it feels so um, accurate for just how we function in the vineyard when we think about prayer, when we think about what we are offering to people. And so today I'm going to focus on the charismatic side of what it means to be a charismatic contemplative or a contemplative charismatic. And um, I would guess that... Yeah, the charismatic expression of faith probably is more what you think of when um, you think about the vineyard. This is all over our history, and it's in our current language as well, um, that we believe and live out a gospel message that the kingdom has come near through the Holy Spirit. It's actually continuing to come near to us, not just in the moment where we believed in the salvation that God offers, but in all the other moments of our life, that the kingdom is coming. Uh, on earth, and that followers of Jesus are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and bring glory to God by being a witness to his presence and activity on the earth. Um, 
to make things of beauty on the earth. We actually believe that we get to co-create new things with God that are beautiful, to stand up against such ugly, right? That we get to bring light where there is darkness, that we get to bring hope where there is despair. And this is all fueled by carrying the presence of God in our life. So when we talk about here, you've also probably heard um, me in particular talk about leaning into formation. We are, we are people who are leaning into our formation. Um, well, this is because when sin entered the world, everything got deformed, right? Everything began to be permeated with evil and influencing the way that our culture thinks and acts and behaves. And that's just not the way things were supposed to be. We all have parts of our story that have been touched by evil and destruction and deformation. And now we get to be on mission to reform, to reform with Jesus so that we can be reformers. Does that make sense? Do I have this up here? Perfect. Okay. So things got deformed. God is saying, I'm in the process of reforming you so that you can be reformers in your culture, so that you can bring this message out. And we get to give away what we've been given as a people. And I just want us to know this morning, if you hear nothing else from me, we as the vineyard have been given the Spirit of God. We've been given the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is our task to give that away to other people in this world. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Allison, we're talking about being charismatic and filled with the Spirit, but the scripture you read has nothing to do with the Spirit. <laughs> There's not the word Spirit in that John 5 passage, right? This was um, the statement that really has become a vineyardism for us, that we only do what we see the Father doing. That has been a hallmark of Wimber's language, and it continues today that we're people who only do what the Father is doing. And I just want to read you this quote um, on our Vineyard USA website about exactly this. And it should be going up there now. It says, we believe Jesus modeled deep dependence on God, his Father. And we also ought to only do what we see the Father doing. For this reason, we have always tried to stay flexible and open to the voice of God. And we want to see what he is doing. We have built institutions, but we have also been willing to change course and direction as the Lord has led. Doing church this way is risky. At times, it can be tempting simply to come up with a really smart strategy on our own rather than move forward in a way that depends on the action and reality of a living So today I want us just to consider that to do only what we see the Father doing is going to require us to live a life of dependence. It's actually going to require us to become fully obedient, I might even say. Fully obedient to the Spirit of God. 
And I think that's just not an idea that is popular right now, that we would have any constraints around our life, that we would have to structure our life in any sort of way, that we would take a command from anyone else. And in fact, sometimes when we think about being charismatic, we think like, oh, there's no rules. I'm just going to blow the lid off this place. It's going to be fire and power and a lot of crazy experience. And, and God can come and do that. Like, he gets to show up however he wants to. That's why he's God and we're not, right? But actually, obedience is the posture that invites the presence of Jesus. In John Wimber's words, he says, it's not just about being biblically literate. We also must become biblically obedient. And in that way, he's talking about these words in the Bible about being empowered by God's spirit to do things greater than he even did in his earthly ministry, John Wimber's saying, we are taking that seriously. That's not just some words in the Bible that's nice and was, was for another time. This is still for today. And I was thinking about how, yeah, I mean, obedience just requires action, right? So when I ask my kids to obey me, what am I doing? I'm not actually asking them to agree with what I'm saying and then just sit there and not do anything or not stop doing something if they're doing something aggressive or destructive, right? It's not, it's not only to sit in ideological assent or, or the idea of, yes, I, can't, I understand and I even agree with what you're saying, Mom. I'm just not going to do it. That's not obedience, right? I'm looking for action, and really, I'm looking for uh, them to yield, my kids to yield their will to mine, right? That's a powerful thought. But why, as a mom, am I asking them to do that? It's not to have control over their life. It's so that their life will go well for them. I use this language all the time with my girls, like, listen and obey, and here's why. Because I want your life to go well for you. I want you to flourish. I want you to become all that Jesus has for you. I want you to be patient and kind and peaceful and full of joy and love and sow that into the world. I don't want you to go towards destruction. It might look appealing right now. It's not. I want your life to go well for you. And this week, as I was camping out in the book of John, it's just fantastic, by the way. If you haven't just read through the whole book of John, I didn't do that this week, but I did read through a good bit of the first several chapters. And just to see the obedience with which Jesus lived his life is stunning. Because he's fully God, and he didn't have to submit and surrender his will to his Father, but he does because he's in a loving, intimate relationship with him. And so, in John 1, Jesus gets baptized. Do you guys remember this? He gets baptized, and I was thinking, how crazy is that that Jesus got baptized? Like, the message of getting baptized is repent and believe. Like, turn your life around, acknowledge that you cannot uh, chart your own path towards health, and turn around and do it my way. And Jesus had nothing to repent of. Yet he gets baptized. 
And John is like, no, this is backwards. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, I am obeying my father. And then what happens is that we know, it's a popular passage, the spirit descends on him like a dove. And what I realized in, in verse 33 is actually John says, I didn't know he was the one. Talking about Jesus. I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Descend and rest. Right, This is a moment where the Holy Spirit comes on to Jesus, not in a temporary way. And I was reminded, like, all the prophecies in the Old Testament, especially lots in Isaiah, where he's talking about, like, the, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be the one on whom the Spirit continues to rest and is, is with and is present at all times. It's not just a momentary gift. And from there, it says Jesus receives that spirit and then he will then baptize with the Holy Spirit as he is doing his ministry. And we know in Luke's gospel, he's, he says, the spirit of God has anointed me. Jesus himself recognizes what happens and he says, I'm now going to move in power in the world because the Holy Spirit has anointed me. And he says, he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor to set captives free, to proclaim that they're going to be released, right? To heal people. He says the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free. See, the Holy Spirit inaugurates Jesus' ministry. So when we back up to that passage in John 5 where he says, I only do what I see the Father doing, this is coming to him through illumination and anointing of the Spirit to do those things. So doing what the Father is doing. Well, what's he doing? It's clear that whatever he's doing, he's bringing life. Right? He's healing people. He's casting out evil spirits. He's proclaiming the good news. And any time the Spirit comes into contact with someone, life happens. Life is birth. Life is um, renewed. And that changes us. And I think for me, when I, when I think about the moments where I've seen like the power of God's spirit come and bring life, there is a desperation that's there. And I think there's an invitation in this today to realize even if my life looks pretty good and I've got my ducks in a row and I, I think it's going pretty well, I, there's a place in me, there's a piece of me that is desperate still. Right? I was on a mission trip in Mexico and I saw a blind man uh, receive his sight again. And what was amazing about this, right, is that he was an outcast in society. 
he was actually just kind of fumbling around the streets, and we were trying to have a, a church service, and we said, come join us. Come, come hear the message. Come be in our church service. And we quickly realized, well, he couldn't join because he couldn't see to get up the steps to come be part of the community. And so we just began to pray, and this man is is weeping and hollering and saying, oh, my goodness, I can, there's things, and I see them. And And it wasn't just about his sight, his physical sight being restored. It was about the fact that now he can participate in his life. He can come and be in community. He can engage his physical world and he can see uh, not only the things around him, but as we prayed, like, we want you to see the reality, the spiritual reality that you are living in too. That there's a God that wants you to flourish and has a plan for you, right? And so, Every time in the Gospels when you, when you watch Jesus go around and heal people and do miracles, what he's doing in that moment is he is dethroning all the other powers in the world. When Jesus tells evil spirits to leave people, he says, get out, be quiet, leave this person alone. You can't be here anymore, Right? But the bigger message is, my kingdom, my authority is the superior one. Not the one that you're serving, demon. So you stop bothering this person, right? He's dethroning the prince of the world. And, right, when we, when we pray for healing for the sick, it's awesome when we see people get healed. Doesn't it, isn't it amazing, like, to have your physical body just feel so much better? I have a cough still. I would love for that to happen. Last night I thought, is anybody going to be in church today? Because all week, all I've heard about is one by one by one, just sickness everywhere right now in our community. We want to see people's bodies be better because we can come and do great things in the kingdom. But the message that Jesus is actually saying when you have a stomachache and it goes away, or when he takes the headache away, and when he heals the cancer, he's saying sickness and death are not superior. I'm superior. Sickness and death are not the superior reality. The superior reality is you are made to be whole and healed and your life will go on for eternity with me in wholeness, in flourishing, in healing. So it, what does it mean to be charismatic in the vineyard? It means that we demonstrate the kingdom. We don't talk about it. We don't just learn about it. We don't just have ideas or debates about it. We actually demonstrate the kingdom. And I'm full of John Wimber quotes for you today, but here's another really good one. You can put it up there. The vineyard is God's idea. He called us as kingdom people doing the stuff of proclamation and demonstration. To do only half of what we've been called to is not a complete gospel message. And we must do all of what God has placed upon us. That's a big charge, and it's exciting. And I don't know if some of you um, read that, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to get in. I don't, I'm not an evangelist. This is not my skill set. How do I bring, like, the me that I am to that work? And I would just say, I don't think Wimper's trying to say that everybody's going to become evangelists, because there's a lot of other spiritual gifts and jobs that he pours out on his church, Right? But what I do think he's saying is whatever story you have, 
whatever gifts you have, whatever you know you've been called to do, you bear witness to his goodness in that story. Right? You demonstrate the kingdom by being your true self in Jesus. That's the journey that I want all of us to go on together. One more awesome Wimber quote. He says, The manifestation of the Spirit is not supposed to be the exception. It's supposed to be the norm. Because the reality is that wherever you go, if you've given your life to Jesus and the Spirit lives in you, you actually carry that into every place at every moment. And that's a power that you can tap into uh, that's not your own. I feel like this is really good news this morning that it, this is not about my human effort and what I can muster up to get stuff done for Jesus. Like That is not a super compelling way to live to me because I then have to just look at my failure day in and day out and go, well, didn't get that done, didn't get that done, wasn't very kind to that person, didn't go pray for that person, right? No. Wimber is saying, and I am saying, and the Bible is saying, and Jesus is saying, we are called not to just be enlightened people. We're not supposed to know just by our enlightenment. We're supposed to know by our experience. We're supposed to be knowing through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that is essentially in chapter 3 of John what Jesus says when he encounters Nicodemus. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm in chapter 3, page 1109. <coughs> now, Nicodemus was an, on the elder board of sorts. He was super wealthy. He was super educated. He had really high social status. He probably had most of the scriptures memorized. I mean, this guy, like, was on a journey to know God. But then Jesus is standing in front of him, and Nicodemus says, well, I know that you're a teacher, and I know that God is with you. But what he can't see right in front of his face is that he is God with him in that moment. He fails to see that because Jesus is saying, well, you don't know that I'm God because that hasn't been revealed to you through the Holy Spirit. So in verse 5, chapter 3, Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Hmm. I think that we, at least I, I don't, I don't live that way all the time. I would really like to think that my human effort could birth something miraculous and something spiritual. But actually Jesus is saying, only, only the Spirit can birth. And that's why we have to stay in dependence on him and we have to stay close to him and we have to ask him again and again to come and to do what only he can do. Later in, in John 16, 
it says that when he comes, he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And it says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. But righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. And judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. One of the things the Holy Spirit is doing, in addition to healing people and casting out demons and raising the dead and bringing things back to life, is he's convicting us. He's convicting us of our sin, of the places that we are off track, that we are depraved, that we are not enough. And that's also not a popular message. And I wonder if if this is helpful, because it was to me. I realize that the word convict shares its Latin roots with the word convince. And I just think that's been a helpful way for me to frame the work of the Spirit in my life. What is he doing? He's convincing me. God is always up to this. He's convincing me that his ways are better than mine. He's convincing me that the sin that I am tempted to chase and and live out is not actually who I am. He's convincing me that my identity is in Jesus. And actually recently, I think it was Terry. Terry had this image for me, um, and it's it's really stuck with me over the months that since she shared this. Um, she said, Allison, here's what I think God is doing in your life. She said, and she's a chemistry person, so this makes sense to her. She said, liquids, most liquids, water doesn't behave this way, I think is what she said to me, but most other liquids, when you apply pressure to them, they solidify. If you pressurize a liquid, it will actually become solid. And I just thought, isn't that the perfect image of what the Holy Spirit does as he's convicting us, as he's convincing us, that even though there's all these pressures to conform to something else, the Holy Spirit sets us on a firm foundation of what we know is truer than truer than truer. And so I feel like, gosh, thank you, Holy Spirit, that I am deeper in my convictions today than I was all those months ago because I am letting him convince me that his kingdom is better. I'm letting him convince me that his ways are better. So that's what I want for all of you. And that's what this is going to look like for us to become charismatic, spirit-led, empowered people. It's, it's both and, right? We want to welcome conviction into our lives. This is how we're going to encounter more of what the Spirit is up to. We say, come Holy Spirit and convince us. And I think what I've also seen is that God is a multiplier of what little convincing that we have, right? So if you were in a moment in your life where you're like, I don't feel like I'm convinced. I'm still going to try it my own way. I'm still stuck in doubt and despair and frustration and hopelessness. I would say, can you give the little that you do have to Jesus? I was talking to Isla the other day about, like, in our family, we love each other, even when it's hard. Like, this is the goal. We're going to love each other. And she says, well, Mom, I only have a little bit of love for my sister. 
which, yeah, she, um, it's true. She really only has a little love. Like, like I was, I thought about putting that as my big ask the other week. Like, could I actually love her? Oh, dear Jesus, that feels like it would be a miracle. I only have a little bit of love for my sister. I said, well, it was great. I got down and I said, honey, that's okay. Could you give that little bit of love to Jesus? Would you do that? She's like, yeah. I said, you know what he's going to do with that? He will grow it. He will multiply it. And she's brought this up to me a couple times this week. She goes, Mom, God is growing my love. He's growing my love. Look, I was nice to my sister. I shared this toy with her. Look, I, I tore off a piece of my bread to give it to her. And she's like jamming it in her face. You know, I'm like, well, I mean, like, that's not quite what we were going for. But you, you're, you're trying, right? And, like, I hope that feels so hopeful to you. Like, sometimes we just get it so wrong. We're like, look, I'm doing the kingdom stuff. And Jesus is like, no, oh my gosh, no. But we give the little that we have to him, and he multiplies it out. Because that is just that is just who he is. So to close here, I, I hope you see. Jesus himself is led by the Spirit in the contemplative ways. He is led by the Spirit in the quiet of his soul when he gets alone to be with his Father, to orient his purpose and his plan and his heart to whatever the Father's going to give for him to do. And Jesus is being led in a charismatic way by the Holy Spirit to go and do these great miraculous signs of wonder and healing and power. And it's big and it's obvious. It's not the slow and the hidden in those moments. But I hope you see the direction that God is always leading is towards a life of surrender. Toward a life that's submitted and yielded that says, not my way, your way. We're doing it your way. And that moment when Jesus was on the cross was all at once the most significant contemplative and charismatic moment that I think we could ever have. It culminated in this deeply intimate moment with his father, but also an act of great power that he could die to set us free. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.